Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. I was watching the bells, all right, and it was so much fun because I can't play bells, all right. If any of you have tried, you actually have to listen to the people on either side. I am not good at that, all right. I grew up a trumpet player. You just play the notes that are in front of you, and everybody else can figure it out. Bells, you have to listen, so I, I enjoy watching bells play, and it was funny. There was a line there, and it started here on this end, and it kind of built towards the end, and then Ryan at the end hits that last note like he meant it, all right. Attaboy, Ryan. But that's kind of how this day is, right? The choir sings with a little bit more oomph. You know, all glory, laud, and honor just kind of, just gets, it gets me. It's like, that is, that is where we start with Holy Week. You all have a little pep in your step today. Marianne plays with just a little bit extra. The bells hit that table with a little bit more. There is, this is a day, I would suggest, maybe even more than Christmas, that is just overtly, outwardly, unapologetically joyful. Christmas has that joy, but it's kind of this solemn. It's silent night, right? This is like, oh, glory, laud, and honor. Let's get after it. And it's a different kind of joy, and it is a special day, as it should be, because that's what it was way back in the day. They didn't call it Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in, obviously. But on that first Palm Sunday, Jesus had climbed the mountain. Jerusalem is up on this mountain. And they had climbed the mountain all the way to the Mount of Olives, which kind of sits over and overlooks the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives, and he looks down into the city. And standing on the precipice, there's this huge anticipation about what is about to unfold. And as it was for Jesus, so it is for us. And so I want to encourage you as we head off into Holy Week, dig deep, friends. The joy that kind of wants to come out, the thing that hit, wants to hit the table a little hard, the, one, the thing that wants to sing a little bit louder, today is the day that, for that. Feel that anticipation here on the edge of Holy Week as we di- get ready to dive into this roller coaster of what this week will actually be. And imagine that throughout Lent, we've been talking about what the season of Lent was originally about. It was about preparing people for their baptisms, which happened on Easter back in the ancient church. And imagine the enthusiasm they must have been feeling. Here they are, a week out from being baptized, from being identified with Christ in his crucifixion, from joining this fledgling thing that we called the church that would be the most dramatic and most powerful thing that has ever happened on the face of the earth. And whatever enthusiasm they must have felt, we're here also. And this week changed the course of their lives, and this week has the possibility of changing the course of ours. And as it was, all the more for those who stood with Jesus on that Palm Sunday. Now think about this. They're, the people that were with Jesus are going to Jerusalem for Passover. It's a celebration. They're going for a festival, but they know this one is going to be different. And they know that because of what you and I, the stories we have told together since November, One of the first things I think of on Palm Sunday is actually Christmas, which is where we started, where we said, we sang, born is the king of Israel. When the angel showed up and said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And as people have followed after Jesus, they have seen the stories, they've seen the miracles, they've absorbed his teaching, and it's all starting to settle in that Jesus is unapologetically a king. 
Jesus is a king. And now as Jerusalem draws near, they understand that this king, this prophet, this miracle worker is coming to Jerusalem. Wait a second. It is time. It's time for all this to come to full fruition. It's time for Jesus to kick out all the kings we got and to become the king that we yearn for. Jesus understands all of this. Jesus can feel the anticipation, much like you felt as you came in this morning. And so Jesus does, knows exactly what to do to raise the level of expectation in the people. And so he says to his disciples, he says, hey, I want you to go out in the city. When you get down there, there's going to be a donkey. And I want you to untie that donkey and I want you to bring it to me. Which sounds like you don't just walk up and take somebody else's animal, but that's what Jesus told them to do. And he says, if anybody gives you a hard time, you tell them the master has need of it. And in doing so, Jesus is reaching all the way back into the history of his ancestors who rode into Jerusalem once upon a time on a borrowed donkey. And, they, and the exact same thing happened. They said, why are you using this donkey? Well, it's because the master who is coming has need of it. Jesus is stepping into his kingliness. And he understands what the prophet Zechariah had prophesied all those years ago. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing and he plays the part precisely. And so what happens? Well, in Jerusalem, Jesus comes in from the east. He was approaching from the east. His arrival is heralded by peasants. They strip down the palms that are spread around and they wave them in the air. They obviously weren't Germans. Germans, we just held them real good and said, all right, you go, Jesus, we're, we're fired up. But nevertheless, they wave them in the air and they cry out, Hosanna, which is both a religious and a political term. It was a cry of joy and a pleading for salvation. What they're saying when they say Hosanna is, yes, you come and be the king. Almost literally, we, for one, welcome our peasant overlord. There's elation, victory, and triumph. The king has come. And they throw their cloaks down, much as we have thrown the palms down. as a royal welcome. You know this. You've celebrated Palm Sunday before. You felt the joy that is part of this day. But you've also felt the question inherent in this day, right? How is it we go from this to crucify him on Thursday? Right? Like you've wrestled with like this. It, you've wrestled with that. It's the thing I remember as a child that frustrated me most about our faith. Why, do we, why does this end so badly? It was going so well. And forgive me if you feel differently than I, but the idea, well, you, you know, just humans are fickle and, you know, one day we do this and another way, that never felt sufficient. These people had followed Jesus forever. They'd been following him for years. The idea of, well, we got a better offer just doesn't seem all that, that doesn't explain sort of the venom that meets Jesus at the end of this week. And in this way, I believe there's something deeper. There's something more critical and fundamental that is going on here that isn't just about the people that stood around on Palm Sunday. It's about you and me and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And in fact, I believe that if you don't understand Palm Sunday, you'll tr- we'll trip over ourselves on Good Friday. And if we trip over ourselves on Good Friday, we may just do that on Resurrection Sunday as well. And friends, there is something else going on on this day. It's not just Jesus who walks in. This is Passover. There's a lot going on. And what the scriptures don't tell us, but history does, is that Jesus wasn't the only one to walk into Jerusalem this weekend. Passover is a politically charged time. For the, for the Israelites, it's kind of like an Independence Day. It's that day that we celebrate our liberation. And so the king who actually sits on the throne, also has to be in town. Now, the king can't come because he lives in Rome. The king can't send his emissary, a guy named Pontius Pilate. Maybe you've heard of him. Pilate has to be in town on this particular day. Doesn't want to be. Pilate doesn't want to hang out in the backwater of Israel like this Jerusalem. It's just always something going down in Jerusalem. There's, There's like no beaches. It's not where Pilate wants to be. But that's where Pilate is. Pilate had entered the city as the representative of Caesar, the emperor of Rome. And so Pilate also comes into town nearly exactly the way that Jesus does. He comes with a claim. He says, wait a second, I'm here to represent the king. And we know from other sources, and this is interesting, Pilate come in from the west. We know that Pilate came in on a war horse because that's what you do if you represent the emperor, right? Because there's always a guy on a horse. So you find the biggest, baddest horse you can and you ride it in. And behind the biggest, baddest horse, what do you do? You put about a thousand of your buddies in military gear. You walk them into. Making a claim. Saying, we are here. Keep the peace. Remember who's in charge. Consider this. Pilate from the west, Jesus from the east. Pilate with his army, Jesus with his. Pilate backed by Rome, Jesus coming from Nazareth where it was said earlier in the Gospels, can anything good come from there? Friends, you need you to understand that everything Jesus does on Palm Sunday deliberately stands in complete opposition to the empire of Rome and to the politics of empire. So in this inaugural event of Holy Week, Jesus announces without question and without equivocation that he is the king, but not just a king to replace the one we've got. He is a king that is set up as a complete and total alternative to kings and powers as we understand them. The kingdom populated and ruled by Herod and by Pilate and religious elites. The kingdom that runs on power. And Jesus is making it clear. No, no, no. We're not going to blend these things. There's no, you know, we'll take a little bit of this guy from the west and a little bit of this guy from the east. And we'll all kind of put it together so that we're all nice and safe. No. What Jesus is doing specifically is putting us in position to make a choice. East or west. Jesus or Pilate, power or cross. Now think about some of the big choices that you've had to make in your life, some of the ones that really mattered. They're your choices, and what really mattered, that you can go ahead and define that for yourself. But think about the ones that really changed who you were, shaped the direction of your life, how you think, what you care about, What you do, choosing is hard. 
And I was thinking about this the other day. Um, because y'all remember I told my story, it's telling the story of Doug and I both making all county in our own sports, and I was so proud. And uh, Angela was so kind. She went and found the article where Baltimore Sun put me in all county. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is the coolest thing in the world. I was really appreciative of that. But I was thinking about that because there was a moment then when I had to choose to stop playing baseball. And I remember walking into my coach's office in college and saying, I'm out, I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore. Which wasn't entirely true. I love baseball. But it was one of those moments where I was like, I have to make a decision that will shape the rest of my life. And it has in so, so many ways. I wonder what it would have looked like if I'd have kept playing for four years. But you can imagine, I don't need to drag you through my life story, but you can imagine that you put your hand on the coach's doorknob, knowing what it is you're about to say to him. And you're, Am I sure I want to open this door? Am I sure? You've had decisions like that. Am I sure I want to do this? You agonize over these decisions. And all the time, we've been looking at Lent through the eyes of early converts who had this kind of choice placed before them. Do I get baptized? Am I sure I want to be a part of this? Because those people... Our ancestors, 2,000 years ago, faced a similar choice to what the followers of Jesus did on this first Palm Sunday. Rome was still in power. For hundreds, thousand, for thousand years, Rome was still there. And to be a Christian was to change the course of your life to make you a target. Our confirmants can tell you how much our Christians were persecuted back in the day. Am I sure I want to do this? Am I sure I want to make this choice? And those early converts had that kind of agonizing choice placed before them on this day. And some of us, when it comes to faith, don't have a hard time identifying with that, right? Because for some of us, we've never made the choice. Sometimes I talk to folks about their journey of faith, and it, all, it seems to regularly begin with, well, I was born in the church or I was raised in the church. A wonderful story. None of them active verbs. I did this. I chose that. I decided I wanted to follow after Jesus. Sometimes it feels like I didn't choose Jesus. Jesus was more like a hand-me-down, like a bag of your older cousin's clothing when you were a kid. Just kind of, yeah, they kind of sort of gave me Jesus, and every once in a while I put it on. And so some of us have never really thought, what would we like to choose Jesus? Which means not choosing other things. And hear me out, friends. There is still a choice to be made because that is what Palm Sunday is. Palm Sunday is saying, here at the beginning, here are your options. We are invited to make a choice, not because the church demands it, but because Christ does. Jesus says, this is who I am. Is this the king you want? He's not apologizing. He's not saying, well, you know, I'm not really a king. He's undeniably saying, I am a king, and asking each of us, is that the one you want? Jesus doesn't leave room for us for, you know, moral teacher or wise guide. He is the king, but so is Caesar. And if the point of Palm Sunday is a little Jesus and a little Caesar, they never would have come to the point of crucify him. You see... Those people who cried crucified were the ones who understood the choice. They're like, wait a second, here's what you're asking us to give up, and it terrifies us. You're threatening us with a different way of being, and we reject you, Jesus, which is why you had to get rid of Jesus. The people who cried crucified understood the choice clearer than anyone. 
They said there can only be one king, and we trust Rome, and we trust power, and we trust elitism more than we trust this prophet from Nazareth. He's a threat. He's got to go. Gradually, the crowd begins to understand what Jesus is really claiming. What makes for peace is donkeys and not war horses. What makes for peace is that God God sides with the peasant and not with the powerful, which is why Jesus, when Peter tries to use the emperor's tools and cuts off the ear of the servant as Jesus is about to be arrested, Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Pete, that is not the kingdom. Put it away. The question before us on Palm Sunday, is this the king we want? Are we saved by powers and principalities? Are we saved by the one who will hear in just a minute, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to make a decision today. For some of us, it'll take a lifetime to decide if this is actually the king we want. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. You should examine it. You should check it out. But this week, this entire Holy Week, you're like, what is it we're trying to do? When Holy Week, what we're trying to do is, this is what Jesus is about. Both kingdoms will make their case. It's a pitch. It's an advertisement. And both will make compelling arguments. Because on Thursday, we're going to roll in here. I keep pointing over here. We're going to roll over there. We're going to roll into the vestry. And we're going to sit down for a meal. And we'll hear on Thursday that in the kingdom of Jesus, our economy, what makes us go? Our economy is a meal with no head of table, no servant or master, just mutual foot washing. And some of you are going, oh my gosh, we don't actually, we're not actually going to wash your feet. I know that freaks a bunch of us out. We're not going to do that. But you hear what we mean, right? The lowliness, I will wash your feet. That is the economy of Jesus. Do we want that kind of a king? We're here on Friday. The kings don't suffer challenges to their throne, do they? And so we will watch, so to speak, a state-sponsored execution framed in the guise of religious and political purity. That's how Jesus died. But the kingdom of Jesus meets that violence, not with violence, but with, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Is that the kind of king we want? And at the end of Good Friday, regardless of what king we want, Jesus will be crowned. It is with thorns, not with gold, but he will be crowned and the declaration will be put above his head. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, and there is not a truer statement that has ever been made about Jesus and nevertheless it's made to mock him. Do we want the kind of king whose glory it is to be mocked? Does this kingdom, not of this world, have staying power in this world? Can a world of peace and inclusion, and love actually work? Or at the end of the day, does Rome always win? I have an answer to that, but you have to wait till next Sunday to hear it. All this while, here at the end of Lent, you thought we were talking about people long ago. 
Now, all this while, we've been talking about you and me. There's a decision in this for us. Some of us have never actually made a choice for Jesus to actually say, you know what, I actually do want to follow that guy. There is something beautiful and compelling and powerful about his message. And you're invited to make that decision today, this week, whenever that spirit moves you. Maybe we've been in church for a long, long time, but we've never may actually made that choice to say, actually, I do care. I want to learn more about this guy I want to follow. You're invited to come along. Some of us have made the choice long ago, but say, you know what? It's time for me to recommit that choice, to renew that choice, which is what it means to be human. We always got to come back to the things we love. I loved baseball. I hated practice sometimes. Sometimes you got to recommit. It's okay. You're invited to do that this week. And some of us, aren't ready to choose. We're not yet sure that what he says is actually what is true. And that's okay. You're invited to come along as well. Let's talk, let's go on the journey. Let's see what happens. So here's what I want you to do for the rest of the service. Because we do take, it will take a little bit of a darker turn from here. We are headed towards the cross now. But we don't go so, we don't go alone. And we don't go without some encouragement. So I want you to consider the palm in your hand. Take the palm in your hand. And I want you to hold it the rest of the service. Feel it. Feel its sturdiness and feel its flimsiness. Feel how awkward it is because so much of our faith, you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hit you. Like, it's true with the palms, it's true with our faith as well. Hold it and consider the cries on this day. Hosanna, come and be our savior. Consider that and consider what it is that God is calling you to do. The choice that God might be asking you to make. Not to blow it all up, but to say, you know what? I reject Rome. We've done Rome for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And look, here's where we're at. There's always a guy on a horse and he always ends up taking us a place we don't want to be. Or is it possible that the cross is actually the way of God? Take that palm in your hand. Thank you.